Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. I love you guys. Really quickly, I just want to mention um, for those of you, I see some wonderful new faces. For those of you that uh, have not participated in gospel community yet, just can I make an appeal to you? Um, you are a person made in the image of God. Um, God in and of himself is a community. The Trinity, right? One God made up of three persons. God in and of himself, fully satisfied in himself. He doesn't need, you have the Father, the Son, and the, and the Spirit, right? Each of them existing eternally to glorify the other two persons. He, God is fully satisfied in himself. He didn't create us because he's lonely. He created us honestly so that we would experience the eternal love that is God himself. It was a gift to his creation, which is us. And part of the thing that, you know, we being made in his image, being his image bearers is if God is a community, what does that say about us if we're made in his image? Community is something that we desperately need. We were created for it. You were created for it. Okay. All of you, you just like me. There's a deep need in your heart to be loved. And when you're not loved, you freak out, just like me. Things start to go haywire because it's a, it's a violation of, of what we were created for. You cannot be loved unless you're known. You hear me? You cannot be loved unless you're known. But if you're known for all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you're loved the same, something ignites in you. You start to, you start to walk in the spirit of God because some of the, un, the, the, the lies and, the, and the, the mistruths that all of us tend to believe every single day get replaced with truth and not just some arbitrary truth, but the truth of who God is and what he's done. It's the gospel of Jesus. So when we talk about a gospel community, we're talking about a community of people who are following Jesus together with something very specific at the center of that community that binds that community together. That's the gospel of Jesus. And hear me, when a community of people is centered not on like, oh, we enjoy the same hobbies or we like the same sports team or we have the same interests or we're part of the same socioeconomic you know, status or same race, same whatever. When, it, when, when it's something, when a community transcends having those superficial things at the center and has the gospel at the center, you know what you have? You have church. You have the people of God, the family of God, following Jesus together and seeking the renewal of all things wherever they are, in our case here in the Temecula Valley. If you have not experienced gospel community, I highly, highly, highly encourage you. Can I like beg you even? Pastorally beg you. Sign up. There's still a little bit of space for this new one that's getting launched. If you don't like it, bounce. But give it a shot because God will meet you in it through his people in a way that I promise you. I'm watching, so I'm watching you guys in gospel community nod your heads. God will meet with you in ways that are just, I can't even put words to it. It's what, we, it's what you were created for, okay? So that's my appeal to you. Sign up for that. This morning... Very special morning. Um, one more thing. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you spent any time reading the New Testament, there's this beautiful reality that the Spirit of God gives spiritual gifts to his people. Like if you're in Christ, that literally means that the Spirit of God dwells in you and he's given you supernatural gifts to be a blessing to the world around you. It's like God making, it's like God going public with his love through you and through me. The, the gifts, they don't exist for us. It's not like if I have a, if I have a, a, a gift of, of teaching or a gift of administration or a gift of leadership, that's not so that I can like make a name for myself and like, look how cool my gifts are. No, I'm like a UPS driver, okay? God has given me something to deliver to other people. Same is true for you if you're in Christ. It's a beautiful reality. And one of the things that we are passionate about as a family, as a church family, 
is identifying spiritual gifts that God gives to his people and then fanning those things into flame and seeing them multiplied, seeing them grown, seeing them strengthened. Why? So that God's love can go public through his people. You with me in this? This morning is special because Andrea is going to preach and she's a gift to our community. She, like, we're, we're seeing this emerging and developing teaching gift in her that is wonderful and beautiful and brings so much glory to God. And this is a, another kind of like a, another brick in the wall of us growing as a church and investing and multiplying, not just like, you know, gospel communities or, or, or leaders or those kinds of things, but seeing spiritual gifts multiplied in God's people through God's people for his glory and for our good. So I'm really excited for you to hear this message that Andrea's prepared. I really, I really believe it's going to minister um, to many of us. It's already ministered to me multiple times. And so I, I, without further ado, because we are a people of honor, would you welcome her with, with, with clapping your hands and applause? Love you dearly. Can I pray for you? Okay. I just want to pray for her. Will you join me? And then she'll get the party started. God, we recognize that you are the giver of the gifts. And Andrea, like so many in our community, she really is a gift not just because of what she can do or does, but because of who you made her to be. I thank you that she shares her life with us. I thank you that she is dedicated to serving you and serving us. And so, Spirit, would you, would you minister through her? Would we, uh, would we encounter greater depths of your goodness, greater depths of your love, of your sovereign grace over each of us through your word, through this this precious woman this morning, right now. Thank you for her. Thank you for Jesus, for your body and your blood that brings us together. We love you dearly. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Take it away. Take it away. As much as I would love for this to be um, a party, it might be a crying party today. So I'm, I'm already very weepy, and I was just telling Herrick, actually, that I don't like that about myself this morning, that I'm already weepy. But I think that there could be beauty in that and what the Lord wants to share, not only with me, but with all of us this morning. So because I am known and loved by all of you, and I, I feel that, I can weep and let all the mascara go everywhere, and I won't be judged. So let's get this crying party started. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, so this morning... I'm going to talk to you about the discipline of belief. And uh, as I was thinking through this message over the last month or so, uh, I was sent a very sweet and encouraging text message. It was so encouraging, in fact, that I wrote it down in my journal because I didn't want to forget, number one, and most importantly, so that I would continue to believe what the text actually said. Sure enough, the following morning, um, which was only a couple days ago, I found myself doubting, and I had to go back and read the text message again. Can anyone else relate to this? You believe something one moment, and then the very next moment, you're doubting yourself, you're doubting the person that said it, you're doubting what you read or what you feel like the Lord said to you. It could be that fast. This is why the word believe is used 98 times in the book of John. In the book of John alone, that is 2.8 exactly times more than all the other gospels combined. Why? Because belief is critical. Belief is a re continual response. It's a continual choosing it's a discipline, and it's one that we have to actually be disciplined in. So let's jump in. We're going to read the text first, and then I will pray again, because you can't have too much prayer. Okay, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, 
put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. All right, let's pray. Father, my, my own heart is so burdened this morning, knowing that this is such a reality in my own life, this dance between belief and unbelief. But you have shown yourself faithful in the dance. And so I ask this morning that you would show yourself faithful to every single person in this room that you would intentionally and specifically love on them in ways that only you could do, whether that be through this teaching, whether it be through worship, whether it be through prayer, whether it be through a word from somebody else. Lord, I ask that you would love and that you would pour out your love in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I think the beauty of this passage is Jesus' understanding of the disciples' struggling faith. His compassion towards them comes in the way of his presence. And his love for them is seen in his desire for them to not stay in the place of unbelief, but to meet them in it. And for them to enter into the full assurance of knowing who he is. Now, before we jump into like dissecting this passage, I want to make some proclamations this morning. One, Jesus loves you overwhelmingly, more than you could possibly understand, loves you. That's it. That is the good news. Two, human doubt is recorded all throughout the Bible starting in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> when, Eve, when Satan asked Eve, did God really say, God is well acquainted with our temptations and doubts. And three, even our doubts can often be used to usher us into deeper intimacy with Christ. It's actually an invitation. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Doubts play a role if you allow them to, if they are redirected to Christ. But the choice is always ours. And that's the beauty, is we have a choice. That's actually like the greatest of his love is him giving us that choice. This is what I will be focusing on today and why it's titled The Discipline of Belief. So Primal Pastures recently posted a definition of self-discipline that I loved. It was totally spot on. Self-discipline is the ability to pursue what one thinks is right despite temptations to abandon it. Okay, so there are five main elements with that definition in mind. There are five main elements to discipline, and I'm going to be using exercise as an example because we all love and hate it at the same time. Okay, so the first element to discipline is temptation. There's a temptation to give up based on the perceived lack of evidence. Okay, so exercise. 
I do it for one day. It's terrible. My body hurts. I'm sore. I'm sweating. I feel like I'm going to die. I have the temptation to give up based on the lack of results that I see because I did it for one day. I see no results. Temptation to give up. Number two, the second element to a discipline is the obedience. To continue in the discipline despite my feelings, the desires, or the lack of understanding. So I continue to exercise. Though I'm not currently seeing the results, I'm going to choose to continue to do it despite my lack of understanding. Three is the experience. That's the third element to a discipline. You get a taste of the reward from the discipline. So I've been exercising for a few weeks, and I lost an inch around my waist. This is so exciting. (laughs) But it's not, I haven't hit my full goal, right? I'm just getting a taste. Fourth element is the response. Do I continue with the discipline? So now I'm experiencing it. I have a little taste of the reward. Do I want to keep going with it? And the fifth is the blessing. The reward from the completed commitment to said discipline. I have reached my goal. I am as healthy as a horse. And I will continue to exercise until I don't. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That was always poor Sarah. When I would work out with her, she's like, you can do anything for 45 seconds. And then my response back would always be, unless you can't. (laughs) Okay. So those same elements apply to belief. There's a temptation to give up, to stop believing based on lack of evidence or understanding. There's a call to obedience despite my lack of understanding. There's the experience of experiencing walking out my belief. There's a response and there's a blessing. So those are the points we're going to hit on today. What was the temptation Thomas faced? What was the call to obedience? What happened when he experienced Jesus? What was his response after that experience? And what is the blessing that Jesus has in store for us? let's jump in. Okay, there are many accounts in the gospel that highlight belief or doubt, but two in particular always stand out to me. The one we're diving into today and the one found in chapter 9 of Mark. So in Mark, a man brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus, and the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. So the man turns to Jesus and he says, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. We could sit on that like all day. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, I bring this passage up alongside with the passage that we are going through today because they are both very well known. They're quoted often, but together they give us a much fuller picture of Jesus' response to doubt. In this passage about Thomas, Thomas makes a proclamation of doubt. He just flat out says, I don't believe. I will never believe believe if blank, blank, blank. Where in this passage in Mark chapter 9, he makes a confession. So he's saying, in essence, I do believe, but I'm also very aware of the doubts that are tugging at my mind right now. Help me in my doubts. Meet me here first. In both scenarios, Jesus responded to their specific requests He gave them himself. That was his answer. To the proclamation, I will never believe, and to the confession, I'm having a really hard time believing, he says, here, have me. I read an article this past week, and it said this. 
The Christian life is, after all, a walk of faith and not sight. The earliest followers of Jesus did not drop their nets and sit at his feet because it seemed meaningful. They certainly didn't give up their lives because of the potential impact they could have. They followed Jesus because in his presence, all things take on their true meaning. Indeed, Jesus is meaning itself. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, Romans 5 says. That grace in which we stand, it is Jesus. It is getting to experience Jesus in every moment of our lives. And that is the same invitation he is offering you and me this morning. So in John 20, verse 24, But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. That word seen means to become acquainted with by experience. So it wasn't just this knowledge of, yeah, I saw an apple fall from the tree. It was, I felt the apple fall from the tree. It hit me. Like that is what they're saying in this, I have seen. It's I experienced Jesus in the flesh, that kind of scene. Thomas responds, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. What could make Thomas get to this point of doubt? I mean, at this point, he has seen three resurrections. Could it have been grief? I mean, think about the intensity of watching somebody being tortured and die on a cross. That alone, whether you believed he is the Messiah or not, that could stir up some PTSD. Disappointment, shattered dreams, fear. There's a myriad of reasons that could have brought Thomas to this point. Which leads us to the first element of the discipline of belief, and that is the temptation. The temptation to doubt, to give up based on perceived lack of evidence. I think it would be accurate to say that requiring proof seems pretty fair. We live much of our lives in this way already. This is true in the physical sense. Show me that the plane can actually fly and I will get on the plane. (laughs) Show me that two plus two equals four and I will believe that two plus two equals four. But it also plays out emotionally, mentally, spiritually, which is much more difficult to measure. For example, in our relationships, we often ask the questions, well, how do I know if you really love me? How do I know that I can trust you? How do I know you won't abandon me? Are you sure you're not angry at me? Because I feel like you're angry with me. This is why affirmations are so important, but equally very difficult to receive. (laughs) One, because it's hard hearing good things about ourselves. And two, it's hard to actually receive the good things that are being spoken of about us. Side note, it was Tom's birthday this last week, if you want to affirm him. (laughs) Herein lies the problem. We are never fully satisfied with whatever proof we are given. It's a temporary satisfaction that's easily forgotten or negated. Even in the physical sense, if you ask me to ride a roller coaster that was built 100 years ago, I am not getting on that thing until you prove to me that it is still rideable. Given to our natural inclinations, new evidence is always required. Also, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. (laughs) So I know all of the times in my own relationships that I have been like, I'm out. 
I can't take this anymore with this person. This roller coaster, I would rather just like cut it off and be done. Why wouldn't I, if I have had those feelings, why would I not expect that from somebody else towards me? There's this constant questioning, this constant, I need proof, I need proof, I need proof. Thomas is specifically mentioned outside of this passage one other time in the Gospels, and that's in John 11. It was made known to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. So him and his disciples, they didn't leave right away. They stayed two more days. And then Jesus told his disciples in John 11, starting in verse 7, let's go to to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? And he said, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. Wasn't where? He wasn't there when Lazarus died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. (laughs) I think that's hilarious. (laughs) That's remarkable. So based on what we read in this text, Thomas comes to the conclusion that Jesus is not only sentencing them to death, but he is confident in Jesus enough to say, well, let's go. Let's just, let's die with him. What's the difference between this moment with Lazarus and where we are in John 20? Presence. Jesus was with Thomas when he said, let's go to Judea. So Thomas was like, yeah, you're with me. I trust you. And now Jesus is, he died. The last Thomas saw of him was a tomb. It was his presence. So what ends up happening? Lazarus is raised from the dead. It was seen and experienced by Thomas. Yet here we are after Jesus' death, after Thomas is told he is risen, he is alive, knowing what he had already witnessed, knowing that the impossible had already been proven possible, he still required more proof. In her book, Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren, she said, If the question of whether God is real or not is determined solely by the balance of joy and sorrow in our own lives or in the world, we will never be able to say anything about who God is or what God is like. This way of approaching God becomes a never-ending game of poker. For every breathtaking splash of a whale's breach, I raise you a forest fire obliterating acre after acre. For every monarch migration, I raise you ticks spreading Lyme disease. For every mother enraptured by her child's first smile, there is another mother whose newborn struggles for his final breath. We cannot hold together human vulnerability and God's trustworthiness at the same time unless there is some certain sign that God loves us. But we cannot divine such a sign from the circumstances of our lives or of the world. We have to decide what we believe about who God is and what he is like. That must be decided first and foremost. Belief will dictate the lens in which we view and understand our lives. There's no getting around that. It is a question that we must answer that we will never be able to outrun. Who do you say that I am? A blogger that I follow, he put it this way. Help me crucify my unbelief and fast from cynicism's wounds that your kingdom may be what it is and not what all of my hurt has made it. Because that is the struggle. 
our hurts end up reforming the way that we view God. Our hurts end up forming the way that we view God. And that doesn't make it true. Here's the wonder of it all. He does not leave us without evidence. In Romans 1.20, it says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. All I have to do is walk outside and look at what he has made. And it screams that there is a creator. That's why I love science and hate it at the same time because it's so hard to understand. But it's proof. So the lack of evidence or proof is really not the issue at hand, though we are tempted to believe or trust that is the case. We are innately born with the ability to reason, science, a reasoning mind, one that was formed and fashioned in God's image. And with a reasoning mind comes the ability to choose. Every single day of our lives, we reason and we choose. I choose to get in my car and drive on the road, believing that the other drivers are also going to obey the laws of traffic. I am putting my trust not only in my vehicle, but in the other drivers on the road. It's a choice, it's belief. Belief is required. Timothy Keller also puts it this way. All doubts, however skeptical and cynical they may seem, are really a set of alternate beliefs. You cannot doubt belief A except from a position of faith in belief B. It's the same logic in saying yes or no. If I say yes to something, it automatically means that I said no to something else. Always, it goes hand in hand. It is the same way for belief. Even if you're agnostic, even if you're an atheist, sorry, you still believe in something. Belief is required. This is why Paul urges us in 1 Timothy 6.11 to pursue faith. If we don't pursue faith, it is too tempting to jump from belief to belief to be at the beck and call of our desires, the greatest of all, which is to rule myself. Do not tell me what to do. I know best. I understand this and you don't. Which leads us into the second element of the discipline of belief, which is obedience. So obeying despite the perceived lack of evidence or our lack of understanding. Picking back up in John 26. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Okay, a week later from what? Let's jump back to Matthew. Matthew 28, starting in verse 8. Back at the tomb. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran, they being the women, that were there, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So in Matthew 6, 28, 16, the 11 disciples, the 11, sadly, Judas, no longer with them. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. So though Thomas hadn't seen Jesus when all the others had, 
though he was struggling to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, he still was obedient and went to Galilee. He still made the trek out there with the other disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. The first step places the disciple in the situation where faith is possible. If he refuses to follow and stays behind, he does not learn how to believe. He who is called must go out of his situation in which he cannot believe into the situation in which first and foremost, faith is possible. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus, for faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it, and faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. I would like to use Jackie as an example. She gave me permission, so I can. Uh, probably about a month ago, she came to church on a Sunday morning and did not want to be here. Nothing in her wanted to be here. And she couldn't wait to not be here. So she's sitting next to Kylo during the service. And the entire service, the Holy Spirit is talking to Kylo about Jackie. But Jackie doesn't know this yet. So service is wrapping up, gathering's wrapping up, and Kyla looks over and sees Jackie go to reach for her stuff so she can bolt out of here. And Kylo puts his hand on her shoulder and says, wait, I think the Lord gave me a word for you. And sure enough, everything that the Lord was sharing with Kylo was everything that Jackie was having a conversation about in her mind the entire time. That is Jesus. Loving on Jackie so intentionally, pursuing her in a way that nobody else could pursue her. But that was also the result of her being obedient to come even when she didn't want to come. She placed herself in a position to actually be able to believe, to be able to have her faith increased. And the reward of that was her experiencing Jesus. A statement that I make more often than not, I'm gonna say probably twice a day, which I think's a lot, is I don't understand. I hate not understanding. It's the most frustrating thing to me. If I'm cooking something, why I did exactly what the recipe said. I don't understand. Or I wake up feeling terrible. Why? Was it this? 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 <laughs> I don't understand. But just because I don't understand something doesn't negate it being true. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, a man can eat his dinner without understanding exactly how food nourishes him. A man can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works. Indeed, he certainly would not know how it works until he has accepted it. Jackie would not know what that was like to be, for the spirit to talk to somebody else on her behalf, had she had not been obedient to be in the place where she could actually then experience it. Does that make sense? J.I. Packer also says it this way, it's not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding or to postpone believing until we get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. Faith first, sight afterwards is God's order, not vice versa. And the proof of the sincerity of our faith is our willingness to have it so. 
The gospel is the sort of mystery that retains its power regardless of our comprehension of it. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Using exercise again, because I love it so much. Okay, there's intellectual acceptance. So I can intellectually accept the fact that exercise is good for you. It's proven over and over and over again. The benefits, I mean, it's a laundry list of benefits. I can intellectually accept that fact. But faith requires action, which means I, don't, I, I just don't intellectually accept it. Now I'm doing it because I really do believe that it will benefit me as much as I intellectually receive that information. Faith without works is dead, James says. So you can't really, you can intellectually believe something, but until you put it into practice, the faith isn't there. I have a substantial list of questions for the Lord, ones that I've made peace with and other ones that I continue to wrestle with. But that doesn't mean I stop obeying him. I, I actually obey him to find the answers. That's why I'm up here right now. I obey to find the answers. And when I obey, I get to experience Jesus. This happened during COVID. There was a Sunday, we were still doing live streaming. And it was a Sunday morning that was incredibly hard. I was just like, burdened with the fact that we've been doing this for far too long. I got done listening to the sermon. I knew the Lord had been calling me to grieve all weekend, and I kept saying, no, nope, not going to, I don't want to. So finally, after the message, he's like, go outside. So I go outside. I sit in my, my cozy chair, and I just start bawling my eyes out. Not even knowing why. I mean, there were some things, but. And in that moment, he shared with me an entire vision of what was happening behind the scenes in my heart. And I gained understanding all of a sudden. The burden was taken away. I could understand. And then it actually, he gave me a calling from that place. It was no longer just me like, Poor me, this is terrible. Why can't people love on me today? It was like, no. Jesus loved on me, and now I was called to go out and do the same thing. I called a friend and said, I need to meet you for coffee today. Santa Boyd. It was a great day. There was an obedience to grief. Have you met with Jesus in your grief? There's a lot of it. I know there is. This has been a really hard couple years. I mean, COVID aside, life is hard. Have you been obedient in your grief? Leighton Ford says, Attentiveness is much more than our attempt to see and understand. It is a species of faith an open and receptive trust that God has much to reveal to us when we pay attention. So here's the fork in the road. When obedience is not heeded, our doubts have a much greater chance of turning into cynicism. Cynicism looks in the wrong direction. It looks for the cracks in Christianity instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to say that again. Cynicism looks for the cracks in Christianity instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. It is an orientation of the heart. In C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces, the main character, the entire novel, is making a list of accusations to the God of the universe. 
I mean, all kinds of things. Why did you let this happen? Why would you let that happen? Why did I suffer in this way? And she's coming to the end of the li- her life and she gets to present this list to God and she is ready. And she gets in front of him and this is what she says. I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? I love that. In the presence of Jesus, it all goes away. No other answer will suffice which leads us to the third element of the discipline of belief, which is experience. That's the best part of this. So back to John 20, 26. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. This was an invitation that was specifically for Thomas. Jesus said word for word what Thomas spoke outside of his presence a week prior. He responded to every single one of Thomas's requests. That is love and compassion. When we continue to obey and to follow Jesus, to do and to go where he asks us to, we get to experience him. Because he says, take hold of me. Just take hold of me. What would it have been like to reach out and touch Jesus' scars? I just kept thinking about how I get around wounds in general. So my son recently fell at the pump track and ripped open his knee. It was terrible. And I'm tending to it. And inside I'm like, (laughs) I'm weak in the knees. Like everything in me is just like, I love him so much. So you push through it, but I, I can feel it. All the weakness. What would that have been like to then reach out and touch this man's hand that nails have been through? This was not simply an invitation to be with Jesus. It was not simply an answer to a request. It was an invitation to enter into his wounds, his suffering. It was an invitation to experience the healing and the victory that came through that cross. All in a moment. Put your finger here. So I have to ask you, what is he asking you to reach out and to take hold of? What are you struggling to believe? Where is he asking you to go despite the lack of understanding? Because of his immense love for us, Jesus says, do not be faithless, believe. Is there anything more anxiety-ridden than going back and forth on something? Or painting our house, which I'm so excited about. But I've almost canceled like five times. We should do this. I'm so excited. We should not do this. (laughs) On something so small. And it doesn't even really matter. How much more anxiety-ridden is it when it is about Jesus? When it is about a relationship? Jesus knows this, and he does not want us to ride the roller coaster. Trust me, he says. Just like in a human relationship, the experience isn't a one-and-done I don't know where I saw this because you intake information at all points of the day. So it could have been from any myriad of things. But somewhere, something said, this is my response when people say that they don't need to go to church anymore. 
I ask them, okay, so when you get married, you're one, you commit your life to this person, and then you never see them again. Is that logical? No. You continue in a relationship with them. You continue loving them, like re, what's the word? Recommitting, what'd you say? Thank you. She's so much smart. Erica's so smart, you guys. No, she really is. She reads a ton of books and her vocabulary is insane. Half the time I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) We have to be continually reminded of what we believe, just like in a relationship. What are the ways that you are actively implementing remembering? That is something we have to do. We have to actively implement remembering. Like I wrote that text down in my journal. Or like being a part of a GC where people can see the best and the worst of you and they remind you of who Jesus is constantly. Or coming to gathering so that the spirit can speak specifically to you. Or how about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There was a time uh, years ago when I was a very exhausted mom that a woman got on stage and she said, you need to be reading this much a day. And I thought, no, thank you. I'm tired and I don't have time and I've read the Bible many times. I think I'm good for a little bit. How prideful was I? Because the reality is, because it's living, it speaks to me constantly. It brings me back to Jesus constantly. How could I think that I could ever live without that? Daily. What are the ways you are actively implementing remembering? Okay, number four, the fourth element to the discipline of belief. Surrender. It's always fun, right? John 20, 28, Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord signified a personal surrender and my God was a proclamation of the one and only true God. It was like stamped in Thomas's mind. My Lord and my God. As Jesus invited Thomas to touch and feel the wounds from the cross, he also invites him to believe Commit to me. Trust me. And that involves a death, a spiritual death. When I said that during the queue, Tom's like, please make sure you say spiritual. (laughs) A spiritual death. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. John 12, 24, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Here's the thing about believing. We're not always going to want to. You're not always going to want to believe when someone tells you that they love you. You're not always going to want to believe that all things work together for good for those who are called, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You're not always going to want to believe that. So it requires a death. Nope. I am dying to what I want to believe right now, and I'm going to instead choose to stand on this, despite what I feel right now. I love in The Chosen. You guys know I'm a big fan of The Chosen. I think it was James. He said, I actually don't understand most of this. Just pieces here and there. When good things happen, because it's really easier to understand good things, right? But the rest, I'm just following. And I love that. I don't understand all of it, but I'm going to still follow. 
which leads to the fifth element of the discipline of belief, which is the blessing. He's so good to us. John 20, 29, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That word blessed in this context means supremely blessed, well-off, rich, fortunate. How is it more blessed to believe without seeing, without seeing Jesus, than to believe because one has physically experienced Jesus? I don't know. I ask that question all the time, especially this last year. I would just really love to see you in person right now to grab a hold of you physically. But then again, he gave us the spirit who teaches us all things, who points us to Jesus in all things. What really does the work of strengthening faith is not so much a what, but a who. John 20 Verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So I leave you with the question. Who do you say that I am? Let us pray. Do you want to pray? You want me to pray? Okay. Jesus, I am just so overwhelmed by how much you love each one of us. More than enough. I thank you for your steadfastness, for your patience with us, for your long suffering. And I thank you for the continual gifts of grace that you offer us, even when we are in the midst of grappling with who you are, even when we're in the midst of how do we receive these, these gifts of grace? What does that even mean? as we grapple with these questions that we have for you, I thank you that you are right there and you give us yourself. So again, I ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to each one of us this morning, that not one person would walk through those doors without being fully convinced of how loved they are by you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Thank you, Dre. Some profound truths. <clears throat> okay. For the remainder of our time, we are going to respond to God. This is a response time. Um, and to set up our time, there's so many things that I think we can take away from this passage and from Dre's teaching on it. There's something very specific that stands out to me um, that I want to dance the line between, okay, is this a prophetic moment? Like, is God, is this something that God's revealing or is just this something I have knowledge of? <laughs> and I think it's both. I think it's a pastoral moment and I think it's a prophetic moment. And here's what I mean by that. We're talking about doubt, right? Doubting Thomas. And I'm convinced that there are many of us in the room where there's a specific doubt I feel like the Spirit of God is highlighting that is influencing you in a very, very negative way, in a very damaging way. And it's kind of subtle and you think you're actually protecting yourself, but you're not. And here's what it is. I believe that for many of us in the room, 
doubt, so not trusting God and what he says, doubt is causing many of you to avoid grief. In Matthew chapter five, verse four, Sermon on the Mount, greatest teaching of all time. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. We avoid pain at all costs. We avoid discomfort at all costs. And Jesus, the creator of all things, the king of the universe, says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who don't shove it down. Who don't like, get it, go away. Everything's cool. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. Everything's great. Everything's fine. And then you get to the point where you explode. And your health suffers. Your emotions are shot. Your anxiety goes through the roof. You get depressed. The thing that I feel like the Spirit of God is highlighting for many of us in the room is that we avoid grief, whether you connect the dots or not. One of the reasons you're avoiding grief, especially for those in Christ, is you don't believe that blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. Because you don't believe, you doubt that he's going to meet you in that space and bless you. And you're running from pain. So here's what I want to do. I want to give all of us, myself included, guys, this so applies to me. I can't even tell you. Thank you, Dre. This, like, so much of this applies to me. You know how hard this last year and a half has been? Pastorally trying to navigate the nuances of leading during COVID. And all the while, like, knowing full well what's happening in many of your lives, the ups, the downs, the trials. Some of you are, you're, you have relationships in your life right now that you deeply, deep, they deeply matter to you. You haven't grieved. Terrible things have happened to some of you recently. Like, I, I think about some of the things that many of you guys have been going through. Like, these are awful things. Terrible things. Can I give you the invitation to enter into that space? It's, it requires vulnerability. Some of you need to cry your eyes out and you don't even realize it. Some of you men, you need to bawl like little babies. And it's the most masculine thing you could ever do because it's rooted in faith in Christ. Because blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. He'll meet you in that space. Healing takes place at the hands of the healer in that space. Like she talked about, are you going to come to the gathering so you can actually experience him? Are you going to enter into the grief so that you can actually experience him? Because it's from that place, it's from that place that true, deep, internal, spiritual healing can take place. And when healing takes place, you can move forward into life new. I would argue 95% of the room needs this. I believe it's an invitation from the Spirit of God to each of us. Even some of you right now, I can see it. God's highlighting things in your life, painful things in your life. Some of you, since you were kids, you haven't grieved it. You've shoved it aside. The invitation to each of us this morning, I believe from God, in response to his word is will we trust him to meet him in that space? Because he wants to meet with us there. I don't know if you know this, but he cares about every detail of your life, especially the scars. Jesus is an, Jesus is an expert in scars. Will you let him minister to you this morning? Ben, will you guys lead us? We're going to praise. We're going to respond. Ministry team, can I call you guys to the side? Will you guys make yourselves available? Um, the band's going to lead us. We're going to fill this room with praise. Will you meet him there? Will you let him, will you let him take you into that space so he can bless you? There'll be people off to the side that are available to pray for you. I can't encourage you. You can go now, the whole rest of our gathering. 
and then I'll be up in a bit to close us, okay? Let's press into the Lord here. He will richly bless you. of all that you've done in the life I have because of your son. Oh, that just wrecks me, man. You know how healthy it is to consider what life would be like apart from Jesus? What death would be like apart from Jesus? Gratitude will rise up in your heart (laughs) along with a lump in your throat. trouble discerning some of the areas in their life where doubt is causing them to avoid grief and meeting you in that space. Spirit, I pray that in your loving kindness, maybe even in this moment right now, you'd bring it to their mind. The painful things the healer. You are the healer. In the same way a physician doesn't point out the wound to cause more pain, he points out the wound to heal it. You are the great physician. And you desire our wellness, mind, body, and soul. And you desire it so much that you're willing to put hands, or put holes in your hands and in your feet. in our grief? Would you heal and mend our wounds emotionally, spiritually, physically? And would you help us to be a people who remind ourselves and each other of all that you've done in the life that we now have because of your son? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Love you very much. I hope you enjoy being in his presence as much as I do. Man, thanks again, Dre. Thanks again, band. You guys, thanks for serving us. It was beautiful this morning. Um, you can still sign up for Gospel Community. Encourage you to do so. Go ahead, grab your kids. Know that you're loved. And enjoy your Sunday, okay? <laughs>